Now, <clears throat> this is our second to last week of the spiritual growth campaign. And so far we've talked about where we're, as we're asking the question, how can I grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord? So the Bible tells us these things. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Strive for holiness. Be a living sacrifice. Make every effort to add to your faith. And so there are these commands in Scripture. And sometimes in, in evangelicalism we'll preach these things. You know, walk in the Spirit. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. But people are left wondering exactly how they can do that. And this series, I'm attempting to tell you exactly how to do that. And so we've gone over um, cooperating with the Holy Spirit. That is putting sin to death in your life and vivifying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is bringing to life the fruit of the Spirit intentionally and deliberately, repentantly and consistently. I've, we've also talked about reading the Word of God because God is speaking through Scripture. And you want to have a conversation with the Lord? Open your Bible, and He, will, he, is, he has spoken, and He will speak to you through, your, through His Word. And so I encourage you to make Bible reading a daily habit for the rest of your life. Last week we talked about prayer, because a relationship involves two-way communication. A relationship, you're not going to have a relationship with the Lord if He just speaks to you and you never speak with Him. It, a relationship always requires a two-way communication. And so I encourage you to make prayer a daily habit for the rest of your life. If you missed any of those teachings, they're online. I, I've told you again that I'm working on a guide where I'm putting all this information together. Um, and I'll have a guide out there for you. Um, but today we're going over, or we're going into another means of grace. Another way that you can grow in the Lord, and that's the church. Now, I d I'm not going to say everything about the church today. I'm not going to say everything about the church. Um, I would love to talk to you about church polity, about multiple eldership, about church discipline and baptism. Um, I would love to talk to you about uh, congregationalism and the, con and the authority of the congregation, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> Nor am I going to talk about, give it a theological uh, explanation for what the church is as the body of Christ. Today, I'm going to be very focused in what I'm saying to you. And my thesis is this, that the practices of the local church and the people in it are necessary for your spiritual growth. I'll say that again. The practices of a local church and the people in it are necessary for your spiritual growth. So I want to talk about practices and people today in the, in the setting of the local church. So let's, let's start with practices. I want you to ask yourself a question Maybe you've thought of this, maybe not. But what should a church be doing? I mean, perhaps you say, well, a church should be gathering. We know that. But when it gathers, what should a church be doing? 
Why do we do what we do? I mean, who likes playing basketball? I was talking to Adam. Me and Adam are basketball players. Who likes golf? Why don't we all just go golfing on Sundays? Um, Ray is a great cook. Why don't we just go to his house and eat his food? Yeah. Right? Who else does stuff? <laughs> I mean, I love fishing. Why in the summertime, why don't we just go out on a lake and all just fish together? What, what should a church be doing? And why don't we just do those things we like to do? The reality is that God grows people spiritually through definite practices that he has ordained for his people to do when they gather. He grows people from the inside out through practices that he has ordained for his people to do when they gather. To show this, I want to turn to Acts chapter 2. And this is the beginning of, this is the first Christian congregation. Yes, there were Jewish congregations before this. Yes, there were disciples of Jesus. But this is the first congregation filled with the Holy Spirit. People who repented, believed in Christ for their salvation, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and were baptized. This is the first Christian congregation in Jerusalem. Peter is preaching the gospel. And after he preaches the gospel, in verse um, 39, or uh, verse 40, and many other words, he bore witness to them and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's what they devoted themselves to. There are four practices listed here. First of all, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's because before Christ ascended into heaven, he said, go and Make disciples, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And so the apostles are carrying out the very word of the Lord here and teaching God's people God's truth. They were teaching the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ, as Jesus himself said, that all scripture is fulfilled in me. And that's why... Um, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, because it is an ordained means that God uses to grow people, and it is out of obedience to the great commission that we preach the word. We teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. So when I'm teaching, or when we're teaching the word, we are telling them what they should think, feel, or do in light of what Christ has done. So, they committed themselves to the apostles teaching second of all to the breaking bread that's the Lord's Supper um, Jesus said do this in remembrance of me when you gather right so we when we break the bread or, or we the wafer we remember his broken body for us 
When we drink the cup, we remember his spilled blood for us. And so this is, this is something we are ordered to do. This is a practice God has ordained for his people to do. Next, they devoted themselves to the prayers. The prayer is perhaps the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Perhaps they devoted themselves to that prayer or the Psalms, knowing that they're fulfilled in Christ. But they devoted themselves to corporate prayer. And that's why it's so important that as a church, it's not just about transfer of information, but it's about crying out to God together. It's a pouring, a pouring out our hearts to God corporately. And that is why prayer meeting is so important for this church. Because whatever God is going to do with you and me, or with the church at large, he's going to do it through these practices. He uses prayer, and he folds it into his causality. And last week we saw he is pleased to move with power when people desperately pray and call out to him. So they devoted themselves to the prayers. Next, they devoted themselves to worship. If you go down a few passages, a few verses later, in verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. So they continued their regular habit of meeting and going to worship the Lord. They praised the Lord. And we just praised the Lord when we sung today. So this is, these are the four practices. It's preaching the word of God. It is the Lord's Supper together. It is prayer. And it's praising and worshiping God. That is, that's what God has ordained for his people. And a church committed to doing these things, God is going to use, and he's going to work through. How, so that's what the church did. How did God respond to that church? The last ver, uh, verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's how the Lord responded to that church who was committed to those practices. He added to their number. So how do we want to grow as a church? We want to grow through the means that God uses to actually and, and authentically and genuinely grow people. Right? We want to grow people through the preaching of the word, through prayer, through observing the Lord's Supper, and worshiping God. The Lord will add to our number day, day by day those who are being saved. So, the reason we commit ourselves to these things is because God uses them. The reason we commit ourselves to preaching the word, prayer, Lord's Supper, and worship is because this is what God uses to build his church. He said, I will build my church, but he uses these means to do so. And these things have become a habit for God's people. Who... who uh, just by a show of hands, who considers going to church a habit at this point in their life? Something they are habituated to do. 
All right, about half. And that's good. I want to say that's good, that that has become a habit. Um, why is that? It's because habits form you. All right, I want to make a, a point about how humans work. Um, so we know that God uses these things. But in connection with your own personal spiritual growth, habits form people. Did you know people are addicted to cell phones today? Um, I read a stat online that said the average person looks at their cell phone 433 times a day. Now what has happened in our country, in many countries, is people looked at their phones. Back when the iPhone 3 or 4, they, they looked at their phones and they'd always pick it out, look at their phones. And what happens is they developed a habit of looking at their phones. And now that habit has led to desire. Now, it's almost like if they don't look at their phones every once in a while, every four minutes, I think was the stat, they start to get anxious and start to feel like, where's my phone? I, um, and this, other, this article that I'm reading said, that I read said that people start to feel um, a great sense of dread and anxiety when their battery goes low on their phone, according to a poll. And so you see what happens. The habit of picking up the phone day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, has actually shaped within people a desire and a love for something. A compulsion. Habits train our hearts. They train our inner selves to love and desire. That is why these practices for 2,000 years in the church, the Word, prayer, Lord's Supper, worship, call to worship, have formed a liturgy. It's something we do every week when we gather together to train and habituate ourselves to desire the kingdom of God and to instill, to train our hearts to love God. This is what we do together to do that. So you see what I'm saying? Habits, that's a liturgy. Picking up one's phone and looking at it time and time again, it's, it's liturgical and it shapes desire. In the same way, you get up on Sunday mornings and you get your kids together and you gotta dress them and, and you drive to the church and then you're told to stand for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you stand and you sing with your voice and you hear the word preached and then you eat the bread and you drink the cup and then you pray, and then you break out into fellowship with the saints, letting your heart know that you're bigger than some, that, that this is bigger than just yourself, that you're part of a great cloud of witnesses. And slowly but surely, your heart is being trained for the kingdom of God. This is why going to church is very important. There's, it's not just for you, but I'm just touching on this aspect because we're talking about spiritual growth. So I don't want you to think that going to church is something other than spiritual growth. No, it's, it's integral to spiritual growth. 
So, habits form people. They shape desires. Um, and week after week, month after month, year after year, these habits are shaping your heart to know, to love, and to desire God. And I have personally experienced this. I've been going to church since ever I can remember, and I believe that slowly but surely, that love for God, that desire for the kingdom, heavenly mindedness is being formed within me by constantly... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just by constantly being um, in front of these practices that shape people, that God has ordained. Now, that is the problem with the seeker-sensitive movement. Because the seeker-sensitive movement was all about entertainment when it came to church. And they had lights and fog machines and, and loud music. And, you know, it, it, was, it was very... You know, it, it, it tried to get people in the door, which was a good thing. But the problem was, it got people in the door and shaped the church around people's earthly desires. <laughs> Rather than using the church to shape the desires of the people. Do you see that? That is what we're doing here. Now, we want people to come in the door, and I think I'm not against using means. But do you see the subtle shift of using earthly desires or shaping the church around earthly desires, what we should do at Church of the Vine is shape desires with the church and with the people in it, with what we do and what we're committed to. And it's not, and this is important because this is what God has ordained for us to do. There are debates about the regulative principle and the normative principle, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about preaching the word, prayer, Lord's Supper, and worship being front and center in what we do. In this church, we are going to shape people with what we do rather than using people's earthly desires to shape what we do. And that's important. Because it's because of our love for the world that we do these things. Um, so I want you to think about going to church not just as being informed, but being formed as a person. All right, Not just information, but formation. So when we go to church, we're being formed. Got it? So that's part of your spiritual progress. Now, here's... For the rest of this sermon series, now and next week, I want to show you that spiritual growth is not just project self. It's not just about you, and it's not just about me, individually. Because the way we grow as people is not just by getting, but by giving. It's by service. It's by sacrifice. This is the next level of spiritual growth, because once you've been formed and filled yourself, you are supposed to give and serve and sacrifice for the body and for the world as Christ has done. So, you will not grow but just by getting, but you're going to grow also by service and sacrifice. Um, it's not, so the church itself is not just a means of grace, it's an area of responsibility. 
Alright? So when you come here, don't come here wanting to just get. Come here prepared to give and to serve your brother and sister. I believe this is a sphere of responsibility for God's people. The home, the church, and the world, those are your spheres of responsibility as a child and a disciple of Christ. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. If you could follow me there. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. In 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Paul is talking about the fact that each person in a congregation is important to the other person's spiritual growth. For the body does not consist of one member. Uh, for as just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. This is verse 12. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, but one body. Now the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see what Paul is saying? When we gather, we're a single unit. We're a body. Some of you are hands and biceps and necks and heads. Some of you are chests. Some of you are legs and arms. And some, so we have different parts in the body. And you are integral to the growth of the other person, to support the spiritual health of the other person. No one can say, the Apostle Paul says, I have no need of you. I cannot say that I have no need of you. So a body works together. A wrist cannot move unless it's attached to an arm. A head cannot move around unless it's attached to a neck. Right? So no one can say in the body, I have no need of you. You are integral to the health and growth of the other person. And Paul says in Ephesians 4, here's another text I want to read you. Ephesians 4, he says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, this is Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. For from the whole body, joined and held together, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. 
so that it builds itself up in love. I want to work properly as a body part. And I want us collectively to work properly as a body part. And he has given you different gifts to work properly. And you can and I want you to use them in this church. But here is how everybody can work properly regardless of the gift you have. I want to give you three ways that each person can work properly in the body to make itself grow and build itself up, strengthen itself, establish itself in love and Christ-likeness. Um, first of all, number one, you can work properly by covenanting with your brothers and sisters in this church through membership. In Acts 2.42 it says they devoted themselves, as I've said, to one another. It was not just a casual association, it was a devotion to one another. So, um, devoted in the Greek means to persevere together. It means they bound themselves together. It's like they locked arms together and formed a unit in a row. And that's why Peter calls it the brotherhood. That is the idea of the local church. And that's what we need to, to strive for. A devoted community. Being willing to die for one another. That this, the blood of Christ which unites us to him and to one another is thicker than any other blood. They devoted themselves. They locked arms together. It's the brotherhood. Um, and it says, and it says, obviously, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, not to fellowship only, although I think that's important, but it's the fellowship, an identifiable group of people. They devoted themselves. So the early church devoted themselves to one another. Why? Not because they just happened to like each other's company. Not, they didn't come just casually associating themselves with another. They devoted themselves as family in Christ, in, in virtue of their shared bond with Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to one another. That's, that's what a community is, all right? And that's what we're growing towards and into. I see us growing into this in the church. I, I really see the women in this church being a strong wing of the church. Um, there's a maturity there, and there's a bond being formed there. That's, that's good. That's the sisterhood. So, I would suggest that you covenant with your brother and sister in this church through membership. Membership is the formal way you devote yourself to the fellowship. It's your promise to pray for one another, to build one another up spiritually. It's, it's your promise to help one another in sickness. So we just had Ray come into the church. He is, the, he is part of the brotherhood now. Whatever he goes through in life, the church should be there. 
and want to be there and eagerly so. He's our people. So I want you to consider not coming to church as a consumer of religious goods, but come as someone who is covenanted with a body. That's how you can grow. And go through the membership process. Come under the authority of the elders, or the elder right now, who will watch over your soul. Commit yourself to this fellowship, to pray for them, to be with them in sickness and in health, to build them up, and they will commit with you, to you as well, and to join each other in the ministry of this church. Hebrews, Hebrews 13 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Stir me up to love and good works. I want to stir you up to love and good works too. So, devote yourself to the fellowship. That's the first way you can work properly. Second way you can work properly as a body part is you could serve the church tangibly. That is, serve the people in the church tangibly. The early church literally treated one another as if they were family. I mean, not, not just like a, a far-off idea. Isn't this great? We're like a family. No, they literally treated one another as if they were family. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 2, if you would. In Acts chapter 2, verse um, 44. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food. Attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So here is a record of, of a community who brought realism to the word family. Not just some vague idea. They, brought, they were moving forward with the spiritual reality that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want us to move in that direction as well. Um, and many of you in this church have served one another and me in tangible ways. And I, I commend you for doing that. that. That's what I'm talking about. It's, you've served others with money secretly. You've served others with time, with friendship and encouragement. You've served others with chairs and televisions. Um, that's, a, that's I've been given a car by Eric and Beth Nunn, who are no longer here, moved down south. Um, serving one another in tangible ways. Now, um, here's the thing. And here's why this is good. I think this should be our focus. It should be our focus to serve one another. Um, but in, again, our evangelical communities, at times, people have thought that all the action is outside the church. If there's any love to be had, 
if there's any work to be done, it's not in here, it's, it's out there. I was looking at last, or maybe two years ago, I was looking at a, uh, a church out west, and one of their core values is we are inward focused, or no, we are outward focused, not inward focused. So their point was they're outward, not inward. And I thought about that for a second. And I said to myself, really? They're outward focused and not inward focused? That does not seem to correspond with what I read in Scripture. Galatians 6.10 So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. There's the outward. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see where the focus, where the emphasis is? It's to the world, but especially those to the household of faith. What is the distinguishing mark of a good Christian church? What is the distinguishing mark? Someone tell me. Who said that? Art? Yes. That is the distinguishing mark. I don't care how much theology you know. I don't care. I don't care... I don't even care what you do. And I'm not talking about a limp-wristed New Age love. I'm talking about a, um, um, if you're a man, a manly kind of love like being on the battlefield with somebody. I'm talking about a love where you like protecting your quarterback from somebody who wants to kill him. You know, I'm talking about a bond that that is is raw and deep love. Um, John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now we are supposed to, God loved the world, so he gave his only begotten son, right? And we should love the world. And go out and spread the message and serve them. And, and try to get them into church. Tell them the gospel. Adopt children so that we can raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We should love the world. But, but especially when it comes to the household of faith, there should be a self-denying, death-to-self love for the brotherhood. By this all, one, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Jesus said um, at the last, in the judgment, in the judgment, he will say to some of you, probably, you served me. You visited me when I was sick. You gave food to me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. And they will say, When did we clothe you when you were naked? When did we see you sick and in prison? When were you thirsty and we gave you a drink? And Jesus will answer, As you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
as you did it to a fellow Christian, you did it to Christ. And we know that Jesus is talking about Christian, be, uh, Christians because a few chapters earlier he said, Who is my mother and my brother, my sister, those who do the will of God? So, if we are, commun if we are going to be a community that builds one another up, we can, we can do that by integrating our lives together in a loving, self-sacrificial relationship that manifests itself in serving one another in tangible ways. Is that not a compelling community? What, I mean, is that not testimony to the power of God in one's life? I think it is. So that's one way. That's another way that you can um, that you can grow. You can serve the church in tangible ways, physical ways. Next, you can edify the people in this church in spiritual ways. Not only the people in this church, the brotherhood at large, but my focus here is this community in this room right now. You can edify one another in spiritual ways. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Well, in my experience, people in church are afraid to talk about spiritual things. Because it's awkward to break into that conversation. <coughs> Sometimes people feel strange talking about that. Um, I want us to break into that in this church. Before most of you were here, me and Gary and Ray and Jane were praying for the service today. We decided to break down and pray, <coughs> not just let our conversation be about what happened during the week, that's good, but we were praying together. I want to know how your spiritual life is. Um, how I can build, edify you, if I can. How I can encourage you for a job well done. How I can lovingly, in spirit and truth, rebuke you if I have the boldness and to do so, which I should have. <coughs> um, so what I'm saying is, if you're going to be useful as a Christian... Your fellowship with the Brotherhood needs to go beyond surface level association. It needs to penetrate into the spiritual reality of the person. That's how you can be useful. Um, have a concern for the other person's soul. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I need to be stirred up. And I need you guys to be a straw for my heart. Stir my soul up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. I want to, I'm looking down the corridors of time, and the day is drawing near. And I'm not just saying that because of Russia and Ukraine. I'm saying that because last year I was 35 and now I'm 36. So I see the day drawing near. 
And Christ, and listen, we're closer to Christ's return than we were when we started this service, right? So the day is drawing near. And he is not slow, as some men count slowness, but is patient. But he will come. So let's stir one another up to love and good works. God uses Christians to sharpen other Christians, just like men use iron to sharpen other iron, right? Um, So God has put you in the lives... He's put you, these people in this row, in the lives of the people up there to stir one another up to love and good works. And he's put you back there in the lives of Gary and John here to stir one another up to love and good works. If you don't know everyone's name in this congregation, I want you to work on that. Um, even though I'm so bad with names, but I do know everyone's name in the congregation. Maybe some of the kids I don't know. Um, where are we here? Oh, so spiritual... Here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Spiritual conversation. Not just, not just conversation. That's good. But also break into spiritual conversation. I, I, I am not... Um, I respect men who are able to do this with resolve. Break into spiritual conversation. Colossians 3.16, the Apostle Paul tells us, Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. Very often after service, I'm encouraged by John because he will go right into rant, vamping off something I said in the sermon. Amen. I love that. Um, also, too, when you come, going back two points really quick, when you come to service, I'm just thinking about John for a second. Sorry, put you on the spot. Um, when you come to service, think about think that God might have something to say to you today through the preaching of the word. Not through the vessel. But even though it is a very imperfect person speaking the word, think that God might have something to say to you today. Two weeks in a row, John sent me a text from his morning devotions that exactly paralleled what I was saying the day before. On Monday, he sent me, right, the spirit and and what was the other one? I don't know. I'll look back. But it was, um, or I think it was reading the Word every day, and the week before that was walking by the Spirit. Paralleled exactly what I was saying. So um, if, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were, I would, I would bet that the Lord is speaking those things into John's life in particular, reminding him and stirring him up into those things. All right. Thank you, John, for letting me... Um, here is Don Whitney's question. Don Whitney is a uh, professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He, he suggests that you ask questions of people in church to break into spiritual conversation, um, such as, where have you seen the Lord at work lately in your life? What's the Lord been teaching you lately? Have you had any evangelistic opportunities lately? Have you seen any obvious answer to prayer 
What have you been reading? And how has it impressed you? Where in the Bible have you been reading lately? And what impact has it had on you? How can I pray for you? And what's the spiritual growth? What's the growth point in your life right now that you would like to see? Those are good questions. I have to think about those. Um, so I, so I want to encourage you to get involved, start meddling in other people's spiritual life, and let's be a community that's not not afraid to break past the surface level association with one another. Now, if a person never attends service, they are not being habituated to desire and love the kingdom. Who is praying for them? Who is praying for them? As a, as a community, members, we're praying for one another. And if you're not yet, by April, I'm going to have in your hands a church directory with all the names and numbers of the members pray for them and so um, it's just if you don't have a believing family and you don't have a church community who's praying for you who's concerned about your spiritual soul if you're not in in a local church with a pastor watching over your soul and a community watching over your soul and concerned about your soul so there is great weakness without the body of Christ. You ever make a fire? Obviously, you have. A campfire. You'll notice if it gets when it gets really hot, embers start flicking off. You know, a little ember maybe that big of that was once a chunk of wood is heated up to red. Hot, red, white, red, almost hot. And then it falls off. And what happens to that ember? is it starts to get cold again. And it starts to come back to its form and start to look like coal again. But if you took that same ember and put it back in the fire, it would begin to heat up again. It would start to turn hot and red and white again. That's what fellowship is like. It is being part of the community. I was talking with them... Todd and Jess the other day. I was just so, I was encouraged by being around them, talking spiritual things. That was, that, that, that was um, upbuilding. So um, I want, I want us to be faithful to the word, first of all. And I believe the word is telling us how we can grow together. And that we should be doing these things. So, to wrap up, your spiritual growth is, yes, it's about intake. Yes, it's about receiving and cooperating with the Holy Spirit. It's about reading the Word for yourself. It's about prayer, private prayer for yourself. But it's not just project self. You will only grow more after that when you're giving, when you're serving, when you're intentionally and deliberately locking arms with one another. It doesn't have to be great things. It does not have to be great and awesome works that people see. I was, I was saying to you, I think, Darren, some of us are going to have potato-like usefulness. Potatoes grow underground. And maybe the fruit of your life, no one's going to see. But it is present 
and it is precious in the eyes of the Lord. So seek to be useful in this sphere of responsibility, the church in which God has placed you, and you will grow. Amen? Let's close out in a word of prayer.